And so today we get to continue our series in the second half of the book of Ephesians. Uh, what we did in our first series as we looked at the first three chapters of Ephesians is the Apostle Paul uh, set up what our identity in Christ is. What the identity of the Christian is in Christ. And that identity is a chosen, holy, blameless, adopted, prized child of God. Now, I for one am grateful for that identity. Are you? Amen. And just to remember that identity, because all of what we talk about today and all of what we talk about in this series is all couched within those first three chapters of Ephesians, this beautiful identity that we are adopted, chosen, holy, blameless children of God. If you are in Christ, that is who you are, and that cannot be taken away from you. And so you must remember that as we dive into the text today. And we've been looking in this new series called Community in Action at what it looks like to live as a follower of Christ within a community of followers of Christ. You see, one thing that's really important to remember is the Apostle Paul is writing to a church. This is a church at Ephesus, and this letter would actually be circulated to many different churches throughout the region. And so what we have to remember is that this is written to community, to people that are gathered together very much like we are today. And it's talking about how how do we do life together? And it's, it, it has application to our individual lives, but our individual lives are what affect the community around us. And so this is written to churches. And what we've been seeing so far is the Apostle Paul has challenged the church to live a life worthy of the calling to which they have been called. And as our brother Dave talked about last week, he said that our identity is so vitally important to remember in Christ. But if we only have our identity and we don't have the application of the practice of living out God in our lives and being like Christ in our lives, then we're like a bike with only one pedal or a person with only one leg. We won't get very far very fast and we're going to be hindered in our purpose of glorifying God by making disciples. And so we have to pair our identity in Christ with application and living that out in our lives and looking different from the rest of the world that we could live and glorify God in this life. Ephesians chapter 4 closed out in verse uh, 4 verse 32 that we are to be kind one to another, tender-hearted forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven us. We see this absolute love for one another that is laid out within this text, but also this challenge of being worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Did you know that it is a privilege and an honor to be a Christian? Did you know, those of you who grow up in a Christian home, those kids who are in a Christian home right now, you are blessed to be in that home. There are people who are, who are born into homes, and merely by the fact of them being born into a certain home, they will never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yet you are sitting here today and you are going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, may today be your wake-up call that you would surrender your life to Jesus and you would give your life to him because there is no greater life that could ever be lived. And But with this honor and this privilege, this calling, we are supposed to look different from the rest of the world. And this is what the Apostle Paul is going to show us in Ephesians chapter 5. Will you please open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 21. Yes, when I heard how many verses that was as well, I also went, how in the world am I ever going to cover that in the time allotted? 
I could preach five sermons on this passage. Now, don't worry. I'm not going to preach five sermons consecutively in a row, but we are going to dive into this word, and we're going to learn what it is to imitate God. And so Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 1 there. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, the first word that we see there is the word therefore. And if you've been around for a while, you've learned that when we see the word therefore, we have to ask the question, what is it there for? What does it connect to? Why is it saying that word? Because it, it wants us to look back to Ephesians chapter 4 and see this idea of living worthy of the calling to which we have been called and also living that out in love. He says, therefore, and then he says a command and an urge. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. The first thing he says is be imitators of God. Now, when I think of imitators, the first thing that comes to my mind are comedians, of impersonators. One of my favorite impersonators is Frank Caliendo. Anybody know who Frank Caliendo is? One person. Awesome. Thank you for responding. Well, I'll, I'll give it to you a little bit more. If you watch Fox, NFL, uh, Sunday mornings, he's the one who impersonates all the people on there. So if you're watching football, you've probably seen him. But what he does is he impersonates different people. And so what happens when these comedians impersonate other people, we look at them and go, wow, they look a lot like that person. And we think it's funny because they do such a good job. But what we don't see is the hundreds of hours that those people spend studying videos of those people. When they look at that person and they look at what they wear and how they do their hair and how they hold their mouth and if they speak a certain way or if they end sentences in a certain way, they tend to emphasize that. Or if they have certain dialogue or terminology that they like to use, then they make sure to remember that and memorize that and utilize that in their impersonation. So much so when we see them, even though we know that it is not that person, we would think that looks very much like that person. In the same way, Christians are called to be imitators of God. We're called so much more to study him, to study his word, to know how the Lord talks, to know how the Lord acts, to know how pure the Lord is, to know how righteous the Lord is, to know how holy the Lord is, to know how beautiful he is, to know how much love he has, how much mercy he has, how much grace he has, how much peace he has, and to imitate that in our lives. Did you know that the majority of the commands as we look throughout the Bible are just showing us how we imitate Jesus? It really is this calling that we have because of our privileged position as Christians, if you know Christ, to live like Jesus. And the beautiful thing is, is that God is our creator and he is the one who knows what we need most and what we're created for is to worship and glorify his name. And that's where we're going to find our greatest joy, our greatest peace, our greatest freedom. Jesus himself said, I have come that you may have life and you may have it abundantly. And that doesn't mean that you get the million dollar house and the yacht. That means that you have a life that is in Christ, a life that, that you can live to glorify his name, and a life that only God can give. And if you're in Christ, each and every one of us have that privilege. Isn't that awesome? And we get the honor and the privilege to study our God and to be imitators of God. And what we're going to see is that imitating God is imitating God's love. And the first way we're going to see that we imitate God's love is by our conduct towards our neighbors. 
We're going to see that in our lives, as we live in community, that we're supposed to treat each other with love in Christ. 4.32, Ephesians 4.32, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. This whole idea that as we are in community, we give each other grace and we forgive one another. And we're to do this within community. So the, the text continues. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Now, I want you to notice that verse right there because that is a life-changing verse. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, what the Apostle Paul does is he takes us once again back to identity. And he doesn't say be imitators of God as followers. He doesn't say be imitators of God as children. He says be imitators of God as beloved children. That is your identity if you are in Christ. You are beloved. This is the same terminology that God used when Jesus Christ was baptized. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You are a beloved child of God. Let that sink in. Let that saturate you for just a moment. If you're asking the question today, does God love me? If you are in Christ, you are his beloved child. Beloved meaning prized and valued. And then it is out of this identity that we now are to live the rest of what the Apostle Paul is going to talk about, that we are going to walk in love. Now you'll see this word walk used three different times in this passage, and each time it shows us more how we are more like Jesus and how we are more like God. Now this calling of being an imitator of God is something that is overwhelming. I hear, you know, if you want to be a Christian, all you got to do is just be just like God. Be just like Jesus. Or you can look at the words of Jesus in Matthew where he, he, tells, uh, he tells the people in Israel, be holy as God is holy, or be perfect as God is perfect. Ah, no big deal, I got that. No way can we measure up to that standard. No way can, can we be that person. But the reality is, is that God sent the perfect one, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, who died a death we could never have died on our own, who took the wrath of God upon himself and gave us the Holy Spirit when we surrender and give our lives to him, that the life we now live is lived in Christ and that the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth and allows us to live out what the word of God says because this is a burden you could never do on your own. But if you have the spirit of God inside of you, then you can live this out in your lives. And we're told to do this as beloved children and to walk in love. Love meaning putting each other above ourselves. Love meaning caring enough for each other to call sin out in each other. Love meaning that when somebody's struggling or suffering that we come alongside and pray for them. Love meaning considering them as better than ourselves. Love, meaning living in humility and gentleness with one another. Walk in love that can only be given to us by the grace of Jesus Christ. And then we see an example of what this love looks like. Look at how the text continues. It says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Did you know that true love is defined by sacrifice? 
If we look at the very words of Jesus Christ himself, we see that true love is defined by sacrifice. Jesus says, greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friend. He not only spoke that, he did that. He laid down his life in the ultimate act of love, sacrificial death. In our lives, if we are struggling with loving someone, let's serve them. If we're struggling with loving someone, let's sacrifice and love them that way because your love for them will grow. Now, it may not change them, but it will change your heart. And that sacrifice and that love we have for our brothers and sisters or, or, or for our family or whatever else is going on within your lives where you have those strained relationships, it may not change them, but you're doing it to worship God. You're the one who's going to give an account before God for how we lived our lives. You're the one who's different from the rest of the world. And so we can sacrifice in love. And the Apostle Paul wants the Ephesian church to get this. Because you have to saturate in this identity that you are deeply loved and beloved by God. You have to saturate in this identity that you are chosen and holy and blameless in him. Because Pastor Paul's about to start getting into people's lives here. Pastor Paul's about to dive into the sensitive areas. Pastor Paul's about to get in there where it hurts and say, get this stuff out of your life. And he's going to confront some things in the church at Ephesus. So let's go ahead and continue to look at the word. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper to the saints. The first thing the Apostle Paul attacks within this is, is he, he attacks something that is prevalent within their culture, which is sexual immorality and impurity. And that is prevalent within our culture. Would you agree? that our culture continually becomes more and more lax on morality. And the Apostle Paul attacks this. And what he says is, don't even let that stuff be mentioned among you. Listen, you have to understand this identity in order to understand the application. An unbeliever, someone living according to their flesh, is going to live according to their flesh. They just are. They need the Spirit of God, and they need to know Christ. But if you have an identity of Christ, if you know Jesus as your Lord, there is no way that these things should ever be mentioned in our lives. Just because culture says it's okay doesn't mean that it's okay. That means that if you have a friend who is viewing pornography, that does not mean that you can view pornography. If you have a friend that, uh, that is saying it's just part of being a young man or a young woman, that's not a reality. If you're a Christian, those things are not to be in your life whatsoever. The reality is, 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 is this is something that is attacking our culture today for men and for women, and it's destroying lives and destroying communities and destroying marriages. And we have to be aware of the attack on this in our lives and make war against it and battle against it through the word of God and through prayer and through submission to Jesus Christ. Always remembering your identity. You have to always remember that in God's eyes you are holy and blameless and above reproach before him. 
This does not mean that if you are unhappy in your relationship that you have a license to go outside of that relationship because your friend did and all of a sudden their life is better. That is not how this works. This does not mean that if you are dating somebody outside of marriage and you are having physical intimacy with them, that that's okay for a Christian. That should not even be mentioned in the life of a Christian. This is stuff we must rebuke out of our lives, and these are things that we must not have in our lives. Because we are holy and righteous and above reproach before God, because we're imitators of God as beloved children, remember that you're a beloved child of God. Remember that he loves you deeply. Remember that you're chosen and holy. But remember that that means you need to live differently. That remembers that we need to live differently. I need all of these things in my life as well to transform me. I am a sheep just like everyone else, and I just bow louder than everybody. Just because somebody stands on a stage and speaks doesn't mean that they got it all figured out. We need the word to transform and change our lives. We need the word to make us holy and blameless before God. And we have to get all of this out of our lives. That means let's kick out movies that have this stuff. That means let's kick out TV shows that have this stuff. That means let's take out music that has this stuff in it. And I will tell you that some of you may say, well, you're just being legalistic. No, I'm not. What I'm doing is I'm saying that the word of God calls us to holiness. Did you know that there's one characteristic in all of Scripture that is mentioned to the threefold. Now, what I mean by the threefold is in the, in the Hebrew language, if you said something once, it was kind of like, okay, yeah. If you said something twice, it was like having two exclamation points next to it. If you said something three times, it was like it was in all caps with three exclamation points. There is only one characteristic of God that is ever mentioned within all of Scripture three times. That word is holy. Isaiah chapter 6. That's what the angels say of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come in Revelation. Holy, holy, holy is our God. And we are called to be holy as he is holy. Never can we do this on our own. Never are we able to do this on our own. But we're called to be holy. Well, well why can't my friend do it? Well, if they don't know Christ... That's because they don't know Christ. And you get eternity with God, they get to experience some pleasure in this life. Well, what about my friend who's a Christian? Well, they need to check themselves. We all need to check ourselves. Continually, we see, we see marriages destroyed and we see lives destroyed because of these things. And we must not even have them mentioned or have a hint of them within our lives. We got to get it out. Because what we have is so much greater. What we have that fills our lives is Christ. Because when we rip something like that out of our lives, we have to fill our lives with something else. When we, when we throw those movies away or when we, or, or, or when we throw that relationship away or, or, or whatever else, we need to fill it with something. And the way we fill it is by studying the word, by prayer, by knowing him, by godly books, by sermons, by godly men. If you don't know where to look, my recommendation is go to the Gospel Coalition website. They're incredible sermons, men of God. They'll preach the word of God faithfully, and they're also going to engage you as well. That's what we got to fill ourselves up with because we're absolutely different from the rest of the world. The Bible actually calls us aliens, we are citizens of heaven, not citizens of America. It's crazy. Like, that's literally who we are. 
Because we're in Christ. Now, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you too, you too can enter into the greatest joy and the greatest peace and the greatest freedom because all of those things of this world will only lead to heartache and loss, putting your head on the pillow at nighttime and wondering what the purpose of your life is. I've been there before. That's what happened to me the night before God saved me. Living a party and lifestyle, bouncing at nightclubs, living out that life. And God saved out of that lifestyle. And I want to tell you here today as well, I have mentioned to not have sexual morality or impurity within your life or any covetousness. If that is something within your life or within your past, you can be forgiven and if you, if, you have, if you have forsaken it and confessed it before God, you're washed whiter than snow. That doesn't define you. You're, you're holy and righteous and blameless, and you need to know that. And God deeply loves you, and you're his beloved child. That's our identity in Christ. And the text continues, that there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Now Paul starts to talk about the tongue. Now some of us might not struggle with this area over here, but some of us might struggle with the tongue. With saying crude jokes or, or the water cooler gossip or having filthiness in our language or whatever else that area it is. We are not to even have these things mentioned among us in the community of Christ. If we're a Christian, our mouths should be pure. Now, I understand that this is something that we work towards, and just because you're in Christ, you're automatically not perfect. It's progressive, and we become more and more and more like Jesus. But we have the Word as a guide, and we are called to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Remember your identity, but also live out your life in Christ. Live like Jesus. If you want a, a, a parameter of how our mouths should be, let our mouths imitate the mouth of God. Let our mouths imitate the mouth of Jesus. Jesus' words brought life. Jesus' words brought healing. Jesus' words were challenging with love. Jesus' words are what brought eternal life. It says in Proverbs that life and death are in the power of the tongue. Now you have something so powerful within your oral cavity that can bring life or it can bring death depending on where you direct it. James says that the tongue is an unspeakable evil and it's a spark that can set a whole forest ablaze. The tongue can destroy a church community. The tongue can destroy a marriage. The tongue can destroy relationships. This is why the apostle Paul is talking about these things. These are just out of place. But then he says the counteraction to this. He says, but instead, thanksgiving. Oh, it's interesting. When he talked about sexual morality and impurity, he then said, and covetousness. And then later on, he says, covetousness, which is idolatry. And I think it's so important to realize that covetousness is the root of the majority, if not all sins. Here's why. Because covetousness is wanting more of something than God. Covetousness is greed. That's what that means. And it's wanting something more than our God. And really, it's idolatry, which is worshiping something in our culture or something in our world before God. And what happens is, is this is why it says, let there be thanksgiving. Now, I'll be real with you. I struggle with thanksgiving. I don't struggle eating thanksgiving. 
I struggle being thankful except for thanksgiving. It's something to listen to that. Like if you are always thankful for the small things within your life that God has given you that he didn't have to, it's really hard to sin. It's really hard to praise God with your mouth and thank him and at the same time be using foul language. It's really hard to be thanking God for your relationship with your spouse and to move into sexual immorality. Thanksgiving is powerful stuff because covetousness is that root and thanksgiving brings contentment and contentment kills covetousness. And godliness with contentment is great gain. And we're finding out in just a minute here why the Apostle Paul is so serious about this and why I am so serious about it when I'm bringing it to you today. I believe the Apostle would say it just this way. He says, for you may be sure of this, guaranteed, you can cash it in the bank, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. That is a profound, hard statement. No inheritance in the kingdom of God. Now, is this saying that if you've given your life to Christ and you sin, that you lose your salvation? Absolutely not. If you are in Christ, you are in the hand of God and you cannot be plucked out. You are his. What it's saying is that those people who this is a practice in their lives and they're defined by these things and there's no remorse and there's no repentance, it means that that person is not showing the fruit of a Christian and they're not living out the walk of Christ and you should ask yourself the question, am I saved? Because it says that none of those who are defined by these sins will have any inheritance in the kingdom of God. So we imitate God by loving within community. And I've touched on this already a little bit. The second point is that we imitate God by, by affirming what is good and right and true. What is good and right and true. And we say, yep, good and right and true. That's what I stand on. Not what the world says good and right and true, but what the word says is good and right and true. The definition of good is actually defined by God himself. Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. So I affirm what is good. And I affirm what is right because I know those things in God are what is right. And, and I know I affirm what is true because the word of God says in John 17, 17, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So we affirm the word. We affirm our God. We affirm his goodness. And we live our lives in light of that. The text continues, verse 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. And if anything that becomes visible is light, Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look at verse 8. It says, for you were darkness. It doesn't say you walked in darkness. It didn't say you sat and hung out in darkness. It says that the very essence of who you were before Christ was darkness. Before Christ, that's who we were. But there's this beautiful transformation that happens within this. When you surrender your life to Christ, your essence changes. You are no longer darkness, but your essence is light. You are now defined as light. That's a beautiful truth. 
Your very essence has changed from darkness to light. I've told many of you guys, I grew up in Traverse City, Michigan, and uh, my parents and I who are here today, um, we used to always like to go on Saturday mornings to this place called Randy's Diner. And we love this. It's a local, a hole-in-the-wall place. And if you ever get to Traverse City, you should check it out. And there's this breakfast special you can get there. It's, it's, it's two eggs, hash browns, toast, and meat for $1.99. Thanksgiving right there. But I remember we used to go there. I remember one Saturday morning in particular, we went in and I was sitting with my dad and my, and my uncle and, and I was probably in middle school and I remember looking at the door and I saw this man walk in the door, the largest human being I've ever seen in my life. The dude was six foot eight, 340 pounds. He had a shaved head. He was dressed all in leather. He looked like he'd just come from a Hells Angels biker rally convention he walks in the door, and me as a middle schooler, I was just fascinated, and I just wanted to meet this guy. And so I actually walked over to him. I shook his hand. I said, my name is Andrew. And he said, my name's Beacon. <laughs> Excuse me? My name's Beacon. I said, why do you call yourself Beacon? He said, because Jesus Christ saved me. And I want to live a life that shines the light of Christ wherever I go. This man, 6'8", 340, covered in tattoos, covered in leather, living for the glory of Jesus Christ, renamed himself light because of what God did in his life. Listen to what a beacon is. A beacon is an intentionally conspicuous device designed to attract attention to a specific location. A device that's caused to, to bring attention to a specific location. Now look at this picture and imagine that being you if you're in Christ. And then think about the rest of the world. Think about the world that is darkness. Think about the storms and pain and sorrows in this world. Think about people who are living in this life, and that is what you are to them if you live in Christ and you show the light of Christ to the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You are light, and you bring light into this darkness. Don't allow the enemy to come in and tell you lies about your worth. Don't allow the enemy to come in and tell you that you couldn't do anything for the kingdom of God. Don't allow the enemy to come in and kill your witness. Don't let the enemy come and put a bushel over your light. Put it on a hill that you could bring great glory to God and that lives would be transformed and eternities would be changed for the glory of Christ. That is what our lives are about is to be a beacon of light for those who are in darkness and to be a beacon that points straight up to Christ to say he is great and I am not. He says and I do not. Every good in me is God in me. And being able to live that identity out in Christ. 
The third point is be wise and live in wise ways in our lives. And that's defined by three distinct actions. Making the best use of time, understanding the will of the Lord, and being filled with the Spirit. It says, because the days are evil. Now, who would agree with that? We live in evil times, yet if we shine as lights in the darkness, as we shine as lights in these evil times, I believe God in his sovereignty can bring revival to this nation once again. But it is only through his people who pray. The word of God says, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will forgive their sins and heal their land. So we must pray. It is preaching. It is the word of God, the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God that brings salvation. We must be proclaiming the word One small step is investing in relationships with your neighbors and inviting them to Easter. Investing in relationships with your neighbors and inviting them into your home. Let your home be a beacon for the glory of Christ. Let your home be a place that is holy, that people can come in and go, wow, there's something different here. The love that's in this home, I just don't get it. Well, that's because there's a sacrificial, leading, loving husband. Or there's a mom who loves Jesus with all of her heart who invests into their children and shows them that it is only through Christ. Or people who are suffering in the worst pains possible and their child astray or they're in chronic pain. But instead they say, the Lord would give and take away. But I choose to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. That is a beacon of light in darkness for unbelievers. That is a beacon of light in darkness for your friends who claim Christ but aren't living for Christ. We have to be those people that are holy and righteous and blameless because that is what the church is. It's chosen, holy, elected people of God pulled out from the rest of the world to speak into the world and make a difference. So... That's my prayer for this church, and that's what I desire for this church to be, is to be a church that loves one another, that prizes one another above ourselves, that when people walk in the doors, they're like, hey, this is family. When people go through struggles, they know that people are praying for them. When people are in life groups, they know that there are people there who are going to know what's going on with them. When somebody's in sin, they know that they can't be there for very long because their brother or sister in Christ is not willing to wait and is not willing to let them live that way. And that we would be a people and a church that loves well and we would be imitators of God. 